Hey everybody, welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 25 and I'm Michael Howard, the founder and CEO of Musea. Uh, for this episode, I had the chance to talk with photographer Spencer Loom. Uh, he's a photographer up in New York and uh, he uh, writes the blog um, Ground Glass, which is a, mostly about um, wedding photography and just uh, photography industry uh, stuff that he has opinions on. So before we get to our conversation with him, uh, there's a couple things uh, I want to mention. Uh, one is yesterday we announced um, a new perk for the Musea Gathering. It's called the Web Attendance Perk. And so this is for people that um, cannot attend the gathering. So if you cannot afford it um, or your schedule conflicts, then this is a great, great option for you. So for $100, what you get is access to a live streaming uh, channel of the speaking day of the Musea Gathering, which is going to be February 5th. That day is going to be um, a day where all 11 photographers are going to be speaking. It'll be uh, a total of nine presentations. They'll each be about 40 minutes long. And so you will have access to uh, watch that. And so the uh, photographers will be, you know, on a stage or platform or something. There will be an audience watching them. And, you know, they'll be talking about a wide variety of topics. Um, I'm not for sure what exactly yet, but I'm sure they'll be working on something amazing, you know, starting this fall for that. And uh, you'll have access to that. And then also we will create a website to where um, you'll have access to the archived version of that. So you can go ahead and, like, buy the $100 perk. But if you can't watch it, you know, the day of on February 5th, if you're in a different time zone, you know, like Australia, wink, wink, nudge, nudge or something, then um, you can go ahead and get it. You know, you can be sleeping while it's going on and then wake up in the morning and then actually um, – well, I take that back. It won't be up that soon, but a few days later, we'll have an archive site up where you can type in a password or something and then um, watch it live or, you know, watch the archive version of that. So um, that is a great, great opportunity for that. I do want to mention that the workshops are not going to be broadcast. So it's not like a creative live thing uh, where you have workshops and, you know, you feel like you're there at the workshop. The workshops are not televised in any way. So if you want to go to a workshop, you need to be there in person. Um, this is just the speaking day. So it'll be about eight hours uh, of learning, of presentation. So it'll still be good, and you'll still be learning something from all these amazing photographers that we have coming to the gathering. Um, also, I just want to mention uh, real quick that as of today, we got 36 days left uh, to reach our goal, which we have, uh, let's see, about $109,000 still to go. And so I know that probably seems like a huge number. I mean, I mean especially to me, it seems like a big number. Um, but I know that we can do it, and I know um, we can hit it in the 36 days. Um, I don't think it's as hard or as big as a number as maybe what it seems. I mean, if we sell out all of the workshops, we'll actually be $35,000 over our goal. So we don't even need to sell out all of them. We need to sell out you know, most of the seats to that. But that does not even count. You know, That doesn't count any peop anybody doing just T-shirts or um, – coming to the, the gathering uh, in person, just the, the speaking day and the party, or um, that doesn't count, you know, all the people that could potentially buy the um, $100 uh, live streaming uh, perk, you know, which we just launched yesterday. So, um, you know, if we sell, you know, about 440 seats to the gathering portion, which is um, the speaking day and the party, then we hit our goal. Uh, if we sell, you know, over 1,000 of the online um, perk uh, where people can watch online, then we hit our goal. And that doesn't count, you know, with any of the workshops or anything. So I think we can do this. It's going to be a mix of everything being the soul, but um, just uh, keep the faith. I'm keeping the faith. We can do this. Uh, just keep spreading the word. You guys are doing awesome out there. 
Um, I feel like we're really rallying the community, and we've got uh, a lot of momentum this week, and so I just want to keep it going and keep the train moving. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for everything that all of uh, all of you guys are doing out there. Um, that's it. Let's get on to um, our podcast with Spencer. Uh, he's obviously uh, a photographer at the uh, Musea Gathering. After this podcast, we'll have three more podcasts with uh, Musea uh, photographers. Um, so we're almost done. So at that point, you'll be you'll be able to have pretty much all the information you need uh, just to pick a workshop. So hopefully um, these have been um, helpful for you in that. Um, Spencer and I, we talked about uh, his ground glass blog, actually. And we talked a lot about uh, creating value in uh, today's photography market. And we even talk about why he thinks styled shoots must die. So um, it's a really good one. So sit back, grab some coffee, something to drink, and uh, enjoy our conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, man. I'm excited to talk to you. It's going to be fun. Great to be here. Well, I'm going to do something a little different with you than the other podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm actually probably not going to talk about your photography as much. Cool. Um, not uh, And not because it's like bad or anything. I mean, I think you're a great photographer. Uh, I think the differentiator for you, especially in terms of the gathering, is mm-hmm. your ground glass blog and your writing ability. And your yep. voice in the industry, yeah. And so I want to talk more about industry stuff because uh, the other photographers I have, they just don't have that type of um, just content going on right now, right? Right. Um, and so I just thought it'd be more unique for us to kind of <clears throat> banter through some of your um, writings and opinions, and we can I think that sounds great. Go back and forth. So, but first, I just want to know about how you got into photography, and also how you got into kind of writing uh, so efficiently about r- photography. It's a really good question. Well, I'll talk about the photography first, and then I'll go into writing because that's a little bit harder to answer. <laughs> but the, um, I mean, the photography part was pretty easy. Uh, I started as a photojournalist. That was really my background, and it just came from the fact that I, I love watching people. I mean, I think people are <clears throat> endlessly fascinating, and I, I think the thing of it for me was that I was never that social a person. So for me, photography was kind of a way to get out there and explore and get really close to things. And it was also kind of a way just to figure out where I belong in the world and how I see things and and what's, um, you know, what it all means for me. And that I've been doing for a long time. Uh, Ground glass on the other hand is something that's a lot more recent. And I really never started writing until I did ground glass. Uh, But it was always one of those things I thought in my head, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if I could write and it was this idea I'd entertained and just never really pursued. So finally with Ground Glass, um, I, get, I started that about a year and a half ago. And you know, at this point I've been around in the wedding industry for, I don't know, a fair while, like a decade. Nice. And um, <laughs> you know, at a certain point you start to see a lot of patterns and you start to see a lot of stuff and you start to see, you know, what at first you see and you go in and you say, oh, oh you know, you think everything's new. And after a while, you kind of see people come and go, and you see people, uh, some people stay, and you kind of see the, the way things ebb and flow. And I think ground glass came from, well, it came from two, two different parts of me. I mean, the first was actually a lot like what I said about photography. I think writing was just a way to kind of crystallize thought and, uh, and really figure out 
what I think, what I believe, and make it tangible for me. And so it's essentially based, you know, Ground Glass is essentially all my experience as a photographer, all my experiences as a business owner. And I think sometimes maybe just uh, more, really more of a guy just trying to figure things out. It's all that compressed into words. But the second part of it, it really goes back to the field of photography. I mean, I've been doing it for so long, and photography is something that, uh, I mean, it's, it's been part of my life, and I, I just consider it one of the kind of the essential parts of me, and I love the field. And I see all these great discussions in documentary forums or among photographers I know or in the fine art uh, forums or among fine artists I know. And they're just, you know, there's just these incredible talks and ideas being passed around. And it's almost like the, the blood-brain barrier. Somehow you get to wedding photography, and a huge amount of those, they just never cross over, or at least not nearly as much as I'd like to see. And so I really created Ground Glass in a large part also because of that. Uh, I wanted to get some of these ideas out there. And I see a lot of people, and for a lot of photographers, especially now, it's kind of their first exposure to the idea and notion of what it is to take a picture uh, which is funny because they also wind up becoming professionals almost instantly. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, there are definitely some people I think, you know, they're really talented. And some of them kind of they're talented and they figure it out. But I think there are a lot of people I see that there's a lot of talent out there. But they're just they're not being exposed to some of the opportunities that you would have had to have gone through 20 years ago or maybe even 10 years ago where um, – uh, you know, you kind of see different ways in which photography can communicate and work. So Ground Glass is really a lot about that and uh, and those ideas and the relationship to the wedding industry. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I think it's one of the best uh, kind of writing blocks specifically for the wedding oh, industry. So Thank uh, you. kudos to you for throwing that out there in the world. I know it's kind of – some of that stuff's kind of scary, especially when you're doing like a personal <laughs> opinions. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it just um, – you know, sometimes people don't react well to it. And, you know, sometimes it's probably my own fault, <laughs> but uh, right. I, I don't always say things quite the way I meant to say them. But uh, but it, it's definitely scary. And you're like, what do you mean you don't agree with that? What do you mean you don't like what I said? And you just – when you're writing it, sometimes it just doesn't occur to you until you actually see people react. Yeah. Um, how has writing helped your photography, mostly in terms of what you talked about earlier was kind of crystallizing your thought? So being able to get that down on paper in an organized way and make it something that you can communicate, how has that helped you become a better photographer or even has it, I guess? It's a very good question. Um, I mean, not as much on the photography side, mm -hmm. not because I don't think writing can. Um, I think actually it most definitely can, but photography has been a part of my life for such a long time. I mean, I started it in the middle of when I was doing college, which um, given my age is quite a while ago, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, I started it way back when, and I've been thinking about it, and it's been on my mind in various forms and fashions, really for kind of as long as I can remember <laughs> thinking about and pursuing anything. And so, you know, it, I think that um, the writing there had less influence because of that and because I'd already done so much thinking about it. But where I found it really made a difference was on the business side. Um, you know, a lot of business, you know, you go from the day to day and you're just kind of on go. You're doing what you're reacting to stuff and things are being thrown your way. And sometimes it just goes so fast. You never really get the chance to absorb it and digest it and really put it together. And I think that on the business side, it's been incredibly helpful. I mean, a lot of times what people are reading is, I mean, people are think they're reading my opinion of how something should be. 
what they're really reading is me as I'm figuring things out and uh, and starting to discover, oh, you know what? This works, and I had no idea, and this is amazing, and why did I not think about this before? Why did I not do this? And ground glass is kind of the thing that's really forced me to start doing a lot of it. I had to. I, it's forced me to figure things out, but once you start writing it, you really start to commit to it, too, and you start to really kind of get into it, so, so it's been incredibly helpful there. Yeah. Do you think all photographers should write just as a discipline to kind of clear their heads or, like, you know, be able to communicate clearly? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, no in the sense that, you know, everyone has their own way of figuring things out, and mm. writing's not... It's its own discipline, and it's certainly its own thing, and it's not necessarily the thing for everybody. But um, should people give critical thought? Should people put things down on paper? Should people create, for example, a lot of times I see personal projects, and people, I, I've done this myself, where you go out and you just kind of start shooting. And there's there's nothing wrong with a personal project that goes out, that starts off with nothing but going out and shooting. But I find that a lot of times taking that time to write it out, kind of figure out what your parameters are, you know, whether it's an outline or something formal or an article or whatever else, um, you know, looking at your pictures and really kind of trying to break it down into the core components about why you think it works, why you think it doesn't, what it stands for, whether it reflects what you actually believe. I think those things are huge. And so if writing gets you there and writing is kind of the thing that helps you put together those thoughts, then I think well worth it and everyone should give it a go. Um, if we're writing an outline or just writing notes or scribbles is the thing that does it, you know, same goes. But I think it's just going through that process of critical thought and really challenging yourself. Uh, you know, when you do that, you just get all sorts of new ideas and you find out so much better what you really believe in. Yeah. Um, let's get into some of your specific writings. <laughs> uh, oh, this is the hard part. <laughs> this is the hard part. And just want to jump off. I'm going to kind of quote you some and let you elaborate on some stuff. Um, but I think it would just be good kind of discussion about the industry in general. So I, I tried to go through and pick some of your more like popular posts because they obviously mm -hmm. struck a nerve for a reason right. within the industry. Um, so your most recent one is uh, You're Not a Misery Sponge, which is up now, like the first one. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a couple quotes in there um, I like. Um, the first one is... Uh, you say, it's going to be you being a better you who can do more and see deeper, but having faith in you is one thing. Making it happen is another. It's up to you to make it happen. Assert yourself, not just in your images, but in being who you are. So can you kind of elaborate on that, which I think is some of kind of the main point of what you're talking about in that post? I mean, that part of the article was really, it was really all about theory versus practice. Um I mean, there's just something special that happens when you get out into the real world and you start doing things and interacting with it and figuring out solutions. And my classic example is, you know, I, I think of me sitting in my office or me sitting at home, and I'm always running through these hypotheticals in my head. And I'm thinking, you know, next time this happens, I am going to do this. And it could be about a picture I take. It could be about how I'm going to talk through someone through a shoot. It could be about a, something in the business process or how I'll answer a phone call. And I'll talk about it and I'll think about it and I'll figure out, well, this is exactly what I should do or this is, you know, or this is how I feel and I'm never going to let anyone say this to me again and react this way. And then I get a phone call and the next thing I find is that there I am doing the exact same thing I swore I wouldn't do. Or I'm in a situation and I say, I'm not going to do that sellout shot that I know I always do. I'm going to force myself to do something different. And then I get there and then suddenly I pull back and I think, uh, never mind. I'm just going to go with the, I'm just going to go with the shot I know. 
And pretty soon, you know, you start to build this whole body of reactions based on all the things that you're afraid of and all the things that, um, that you know, at your gut, at some level, you really didn't think worked, but you knew kind of it would get you by and it kept you safe and you didn't really have to stress out about it. So in that sense, it worked. And I think, you know, it's a common thing in the world that anything that creates a lot of psychological resistance, you tend to pull back from. And people, those, and those are the, really the most important things to push through. I mean, those are the big learning experiences. Those are the big wins where when you actually figure it out and you figure out the little details for how to get from point A to Z and you figure out every letter in between, those are the things that give you a competitive advantage over everyone else. Or those are the things that make your pictures different from everything else. So, you know, as I see it, I think the real danger isn't like when you do something and it blows up in your face and you fail. I mean, failure happens, you know. I mean, things blow up and they don't work the way you wanted to want them to. But I think what's way worse than that is when you, is when you kind of just live in this theoretical world about, well, this is what I think, but then you never really act on it. Um, you know, it's really inaction and that's really the killer when you're running a business. And I think that's also the killer if you want to do anything artistic. At some point, you know, you develop all these feelings about how you should do things. And if you don't go out and you don't actually try to test those things, then you're never going to figure out what works in real life. And you're never going to learn all the things you need to know. Like, I spent five years doing street photography. And I remember I was really excited. I, got, I, was, I was getting my Leica. And uh, I was doubly excited because I'd always wanted Leica. And I finally had enough money to get a Leica. So I'm deciding whether to get the silver or the black Leica. Tough decision. <laughs> Tough decision. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm reading all these on all these forums. And I'm reading these discussions about, well, you know, when you're doing street photography with the black Leica, you're going to be less conspicuous. And it's going to look more like a consumer camera. And the silver Leica is going to be too flashy. It's going to really distract people's <laughs> attention. And I actually bought into this, you know. I mean, yeah. on one hand, I should have known better because I've been doing photography plenty long. But you start getting absorbed into this and you start thinking, yeah, you know, if I have the silver Leica, people are going to pay too much attention to me and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, it is the most inane conversation in the world. No offense to anyone, actually, who participates in these. But <laughs> But, you know, the thing is that in your head, this seems completely reasonable if you haven't done a lot of shooting on the street. But then, you know, when you go on the street, it's like no one cares if you have a silver Leica or a black Leica. I mean, what I found people do care about is if you, you know, if you have the wrong body language, if you approach them in the wrong way. And I'm not talking about approach them as in how you talk to them. I'm just talking about how you maneuver when you're walking around on the street. Um, a lot of things are counterintuitive. You know, a lot of times I found that when I would shoot people from three feet away, no reaction. And I, at first when I started doing this, I was terrified because I was thinking I'm only three feet away. But I think what, you know, what my gauge of it was, a lot of people thought there's no way he's taking my picture because he's three feet away from me. <laughs> I just thought I was some tourists on the street. Yeah. And I came to realize that, you know, how I stood, how I moved towards the subject, all those things would either call attention or not call attention to to people. Um, all sorts of little things like that. And you can't find that out just by kind of sitting around reading a bunch of boards. You can't find that out about thinking about whether you want the black or silver Leica. You just have to go out there and you have to go do it. And then once you go do it, you're going to figure out, you know, if you're seven feet tall, I'm sure there's a whole different set of things you got to do in terms of how you move and how you behave to keep to <clears throat> to disappear than if you're, I don't know, five feet tall or whatever. If you're a guy, it's probably a little different from a girl. And the point is that 
you have to act. And business is just like that. You know, you have to take control of your clients from the very beginning. You have to say the right things in the right ways to get to the result you want. If you just go out there and you start doing it and you're saying, well, I'm kind of along for the ride the whole time and whatever happens, happens, you, you, you kind of lose that ability very often to assert not just who you are as in to take pictures you want, but you really kind of lose your ability to teach and encourage people to value the images that you really want them to value. And, um, you know, as it keeps going on, I always describe project management as a little bit like carrying sand in your hands. Everything, the sand just kind of keeps dripping out and falling out. You can never really pick it back up because you're carrying this sand around. And so your, your goal is to kind of hold as much of it as possible. And, uh, and that's a little bit what it, what, what it's like. Um, you know, each time you fail to tell someone the right thing, interact with them the right way, um, prepare them in the right sense, you lose out on an opportunity to, um, to really kind of get the result you want, but I think actually equally important a lot of times to make them as happy as they can be. Yeah. I mean, kind of also on that point of the article, are you, uh, are you really talking about doing things? Um, there's two ways to do things. One, how maybe you want to do them, and then another way of how the industry kind of expects you to do them. Right. And to really have a successful business, especially in today's market, you really kind of need to more focus on how you want to do them so that mm-hmm. you have more differentiator. Is that kind of what you're talking Yeah, that's, that is, well, okay, in business terms, I mean, I, I like to think as a photographer. So I like to think, yes, you know, I want to say yes. And I do believe that the answer can be yes. But at the very same time, I mean, it all depends on how you run your business, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's, um, I mean, there are a lot of differences between person A and person B and why one person might go into it and another. If one person comes in and let's say they're all about the art and the craft and they love the execution and they see and maybe their strengths are that they see all these amazing things that other people don't, it's going to be a completely different situation from someone else who thinks photography is really enjoyable but really likes interacting with people and is a great networker and blah, blah, blah. And so kind of in my view of the world and in terms of what I like doing, I mean, yes, definitely. I, t- I encourage the idea of pursuing it for for the the artistry of it and using that as a differentiator. But, uh, you know, I don't want to say that in kind of black and white terms because I recognize that, you know, business is almost its own art form and mm-hmm. it's its own result. And to some people, the craft of running a business is the thing that really turns them on, that they get excited about. And actually, if there were actually one thing I thought that was really lacking in the wedding photography world, it's not just the fact that a lot of times the people come into it without a lot of photography experience, but, um, maybe even more frequently people come into it with almost no business experience. And so they kind of going back to what I was saying about the process, it's not just the artistic process, but that business process is really huge. But yeah, uh, the short answer to your question is yes. I mean, I do think kind of being able to put something personal into it is, is really important. I think it's important for personal reasons because when you go into a field like photography and because just when you're running something as personal as a small business, Getting in touch with that and finding something you really enjoy is one of those things that keeps you going and keeps you motivated and excited. And I think it's also one of those things that you, gives you great reward, not just uh, kind of at a monetary level, but also at a personal level. But also it's kind of one of those purple cow scenarios, right? Um, you know, everyone, I think the wedding market keeps getting more and more commoditized as we go. And, you know, even though, you know, I I think, you know, no, if you're if you're shooting like Paul Graham, um, and for anyone out there who's 
doesn't follow Paul Graham. You know, he's he's always the contrary and kind of exploring and pushing the bounds of what photography is and trying to communicate. <laughs> well, more about the nature of what photography is than necessarily his subjects even specifically. But uh, no, I mean, if you shoot like Paul Graham and you go into a wedding and, uh, you, you know, he, I, I love Paul Graham. I love what he does. I would love to do have projects like that. But I don't think you're really going to have a very successful business if you if you do that. But at the same time, we have a market with lots and lots of people entering. We have a market where... No, maybe people aren't reading about Paul Graham, uh, and maybe people aren't shooting like Paul uh, Robert Frank. But um, I think I was about to say Paul Frank. I think he's a fashion designer. <laughs> See the guy yeah. with the monkey or something? Yeah, the monkey. Um, <laughs> but um, I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to know I'm not the only one. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it, it's um, if you if you go into it and and you're you, I lost my train of thought. This is the part where. <clears throat> Sorry. I totally forgot what I was going to say. Uh, but I'm sure it was going to be something really good, right? <laughs> no, let's um, – yeah, well, I'm going to ask you a similar question on this topic. So it's maybe going to okay. be job where you're at. Um, so one of the other writings you had was kind of the get it out of hell free uh, mm-hmm. post. And so it's some of the similar things we're talking about now, which is um, – you know, one of the quotes you have in there is you create your value. It's all about what catches your fancy, not as a hired gun who snaps this and that, but as a person who can react to this and that. That is your uh, true ticket weapon, your ability to feel and observe. Um, so this is something that obviously – something I'm wrestling with kind of currently, but I've had talks with other photographers. Uh, and this is kind of a little bit what you're talking about with like the art side of it versus maybe the service side mm-hmm. of it. Um and so, like, that quote feels more of, like, the art side. And so, I mean, kind of as our industry moves forward, I mean, how do you think photographers will be able to create value? Like, is it through extraordinary vision where you can only go, you know, to that one photographer to get those type of photos, which I think everybody, like, that's their ideal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it just being able to take good photographs, just good solid stuff, but your kind of customer service and the experience you give your clients, like the feelings you can bring out in them, is like through the roof. And that is maybe where your value actually lies. So uh, it's hard to kind of pick one, but I mean, as we move forward in the industry, I mean, what do you think might win out more versus the other? Good I'm, question. And that's tough. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's a really tough question. Um, I think part of the reason it's tough is just simply because it's, I mean, there is no obvious and easy answer. For me, actually, part of the reason it's also really hard is I, I kind of see the, I see the two things so distinctly tied together. Um, I mean, I, I had said when I had said about Paul Graham earlier that uh, you know if you truly make weddings your personal art project, probably not a great play in terms of getting getting a business going and getting everything you want out of it as far as the business side goes. But um, but I, I think the thing about it is that in terms of making it personal and creating pictures that are meaningful to you and finding an angle, um, I mean, even even though I think that the service is kind of the critical component, and if you ha- if I had to choose one or the other, I would probably pick the service component, mm-hmm. I, I really see the two as kind of playing off one, of an, one another. Um, I mean, in my concept of the world, you go to... I don't know. You could you shoot a thousand weddings, and 
maybe there are certain things you start to get really sick of. Maybe I look at it and say, God, you know, I am sick of shooting hundreds of shots of decorations, um, which actually you'll see that if you go to my website, I don't put up hundreds of shots of decorations <laughs> for just that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you go in and, you, but you go in and you say, you know what? I always thought the ceremony was the most boring part, but I, I really, I actually love the meaning of the ritual. And as I see it, and as I see people, different people doing these different things, I appreciate that more and more. Or I see tiny little things. You know, you start to become attuned because maybe the first time you ever go to a first dance, you're just watching to see if it's a cool first dance number, even as a photographer. Um, and maybe after you've seen a hundred of them, you start looking at the way people's fingers bend or whether their heads move together in an, at an angle that's attractive to you. Or you start looking around the room or light pattern or whatever it is that you're really into. Um, or you start just looking for other people and, and seeing people in different ways. I mean, these these little threads that you pick up, um, I mean, it may not translate to fine art, per se, uh, like shooting a wedding and making it, let's say, a Martin Parr-esque type event. Mm -hmm. But it can definitely translate into something that's very, that, you know, that reflects your opinion and your belief about what's important in weddings. And I think that's never going to go away. Bringing that in as a differentiator is always going to help your business it's always going to be an important part of the process i mean you know is that what it's kind of all for it's like once you go through that you start to have certain things you don't like you start to have certain things you like and that's your there that's where your real value is right i mean that's when you start to feel a sense of purpose that's when you start to feel like um you know that's what that's where the good stuff comes in and i think kind of the industry has all these expectations and technique has gotten so good that it's become very easy to kind of replicate certain looks and certain things and access and figure out how to do those things. But but those things are never, in my mind, I mean, they're, they're never going to bring that same level of uniqueness as those tiny little observations. And when you do that, so if you kind of, if you give up those, you're giving up a huge part of what makes you different. And if we were in, in an industry, let's say, that was really compressed and really small with huge demand in the middle of a time where the economy was booming and was flying up, kind of like the dot-com period, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you're making something, running a business period like that, I mean, kind of just hanging, staying in the middle of the stream, I think, can get you pretty far. And there might be different things that say to focus on. But I don't actually feel like that's where kind of the wedding industry is right now. I feel like it's one with massive coins of people entering with lots of um, it where it becomes very easy to dissect certain techniques. And I mean, you know, it used to be when I started shooting, no one had the L series glass except real pros. No one used the tilt shift lens. Uh, I mean, now it's a built in effect into a lot of point and shoots. Yeah. And so. <laughs> You know, things have changed so much in terms of technique, and it only keeps getting faster and faster. It gets easier and easier because someone shares something, and you see it in a thread, and someone pretty soon, everyone's figuring out how to do it. And it, it kind of demystifies the entire process. And the only thing I think that can counter that is that critical observation and those tiny little details. So I think the artistic process, even though the service part of it is probably, I think, for most businesses, going to be the differentiator. And... Um, yeah. And I think if you were to say, well, here's a bunch of actionable goals. Here's 20 things you're going to take out and do right away to improve your business. Well, improving yourself as a photographer and improving your opinions of the world and your observations or getting more fine-tuned about that is something you can spend years doing. And so, of course, you know, the service side is the angle from, from which you can see really quick and immediate improvement. But I don't think you can really divorce it fully from the artistic side. I think, uh, I mean, it has to power something. You know, you give great service and you blow people away, but you have to be, you have to be blowing them away with something. 
And I, I actually think that the service and the product really go hand in hand. Like when you look at a good business, I mean, Apple's always the obvious example nowadays, but uh, but I'll use Apple anyway. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> the alignment between it's not kind of an us versus them sort of divide. It's not, um, well, we're going to cater to the clients and not do what we do really well and not get our opinion out in our products about what we believe is valuable. I think whenever I look at successful businesses, there's a strong alignment between what they do well and what the people want out of them. And whenever I look at businesses that are struggling, um, I mean, very often financially, but, uh, but also just kind of struggling as in they can't seem to get the momentum going. What I see very often is a company that bases everything kind of on what they think the client wants. And I think the worst position you can find yourself in as a photographer is basically to create a set of expectations. And this is, again, why the service part isn't just about making them happy, but it's about making them happy in the way you want to steer them. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing you want is to go into a wedding and be the guy who is basically – I mean, essentially, I think of what happens with a lot of photographers is they are basically shooting the wedding as if they were their client's except with their set of photography skills. And yeah. I think when you do that, you kind of strip out all the values that you have and you lose the chance to really kind of bring something that really wows them and, uh, and that kind of just elevates the, not, not just all of your work, but the entire field as well. And so I think there are a lot of opportunities artistically. And, um, and even though I point to the service as kind of the quick wins and everything, I mean, the flip side of it is going to be that, um, that if you can get there, and I definitely think to some extent everyone can imbue some part of that into their business, that, uh, that it can really push things a lot further than most people realize. Yeah. I mean, I think one of your quotes to go along with this, uh, I think it's in the same article, but it's uh, you say, don't just go along for the ride, like create the ride yes. for your clients. Exactly. Um, exactly. I see a lot of photographers that are just kind of <clears> – <throat> They're going along for the ride, either by a what their clients are making them go for a ride, or the industry in general is. Yeah. Um, instead yeah. of creating a unique experience, not just work, but just also just a unique business. Mm -hmm. You know how they handle every single thing in terms of email, phone call, client interaction, client meetings. Yes. Making that just as much as an art form as looking for those special moments. You know. Mm hmm. Next question I have is, can a photographer um, that is kind of wearing all the hats in their business, like raising a family, trying to get bills paid, all that stuff, um, are they going to – I mean, is it possible for somebody to create that type of business by themselves in terms of, A, like ridiculous customer service and, B, kind of ridiculous art? Like I, it seems like we're getting more into the future of photography, especially studios, I think, where the – they might have to um, be more than one person mm -hmm. to a degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you what do you think of that? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I actually think you um, you can. I mean, I actually do think you can have it all. The problem I, I I see actually with a lot of businesses, and this is something I mean I've experienced at a very personal level with my own business, is that uh, small business owners I think are the most notorious people for trying to do it all because I mean they have to you're forced into it because usually you start off as one person but it's something that most people really never let go of and and that's fine I mean uh, since uh, it's fine that you do it all but uh, I mean 
I don't think necessarily you need, for example, a studio with five people to get everything done. I do think mm. you have to smartly outsource things and allocate your time right. I do think that you have to kind of pick and choose your battles. You have to know what you're about. And that's, there's another part of the reason I think the art is so important, because if you're creating a brand and you have things to say about yourself, you know, you figure that out by looking at what your product is. Your product has to be in alignment with the brand. And, you, and you know, you're going to figure out, well, these are the things I stand for. These are the things I put the time into. But you're also going to, in that exchange, have to figure out these are the things that are not worth putting the time into. And these are the things that either you need to let go of or you need to outsource or you need to find some way to, uh, to simplify. And so I think one of the big problems is that, I, I mean, if we all had unlimited time in the world, I mean, it would be pretty easy to get most things done. But the problem with most, most problems is we have a limited amount of time and resources. So we have to choose. And a lot of times if you don't have the experience and you haven't gone through it, people choose the wrong things to invest all of their, their energies in. So, um, you know, I do think it's doable. But I think a lot of it comes from kind of – hold on one second. We're getting this weird noise. That's all right. <laughs> I can barely hear it. So, yeah. Really? You can't hear it? Barely. Oh, well, okay. Um, so I'll continue I'll, with my last line. So I do think it's possible, but picking and choosing on the right things and learning to streamline everything in the right way is really important. Another part of it is um, people are just afraid to say no a lot of times they yeah. kind of say yes to every they say yes to every opportunity they say yes to every client request they say yes to every single thing and what happens is you kind of find yourself overwhelmed focusing on well really nothing because you don't have the time and energy for it um, and also you're doing all these activities that aren't necessarily going to be things that generate profit and even though I, I love the art and everything you, you got to survive and you got to keep things going and you have to make it work right like you're talking about with keeping a, you know having a family and I have a family so I totally get that um, mm -hmm. you know you you pretty you know you have to really get focused if you're working on if you're working on networking for example I can't tell you how many times when I started this I went to network with people who just led to nothing and it wasn't because they themselves are something wrong with them. It's just that they weren't a good match for what I needed to get done. And they weren't, they didn't have this, a good client match, but also I think kind of philosophically they didn't really get what I was about. So it just didn't, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I would kind of take every opportunity and think anytime I could have a chance to network with anyone, you know, that's something I want to spend time doing because it could lead to potential business. But what I found is that it's much, much more effective to take the people who really get you and put a lot more time and effort into networking with them and getting to know them and letting go of the rest. And, uh, and it may not lead to as many connections in total, but it's going to lead to a lot more meaningful ones that actually generate a lot more business. And the same goes through and through. It goes with picking your clients. It goes with you know what you decide to focus on to differentiate yourself. I mean, every part of the business comes down to making those decisions and knowing how to get the ones that fo are focused and fit the business that fit the strengths you have and help generate more business. Let's see. Another good topic is <clears throat> you, this is a very subtle kind of opinion mm -hmm. that you wrote about, um, but I think it's a very interesting point. Um, in one of your articles, you say uh, it's that we're so used to wanting everything easy. We forget mm -hmm. the real value of hard. Uh, we're so used to caring about the result, we forget the value of the process. Feeling good is more valuable than being good. Um, and then you go on to say, but whatever you do, don't run from the hurt. Don't avoid the pain. And then you say, don't chase the reward. Mm -hmm. So 
talk about that feeling good is more valuable than being good because on first glance, I think a lot of photographers would probably really disagree with that because they'd be like, I want to be good, you know? But I think that's exactly what you're talking about. The reason I say that is that um, it, it, it is actually rather misleading in the way it, it reads. I mean, obviously, I mean, I think being good and all the results that go with it are, are really important. And, um, and so it, it's really, um, you know, what I had in mind when I was writing that <laughs> it is actually completely true that how most people interpret it is is how it reads. It just wasn't what I was actually thinking. <laughs> but but you know I I think that there's a huge tendency for a lot of people to treat everything like like a check mark on a resume, and so um, you know like uh, I was one of those guys. I never really went to any of my classes. Um, you know I was so happy when I went to college. I thought. Oh, and I really hope my parents aren't listening to any of this, but <laughs> I was so happy when I went to college because I thought, I don't have to attend any classes. This is the most amazing thing in the world. It's confession time here. Yes, exactly. Uh, but, you know, picture this. I mean, there's always that guy, right? Uh, there's always that guy who goes to every class and he writes out all the notes. And he, you know, he keeps raising his hand. He's really annoying. He keeps talking with the professor and he always asks all these questions when you all want to go, even when the class is over and everyone just can't stand this one guy. And then there's everybody else like me. I would sit around. I would never go. I would sit, ask friends for any notes. I would read whatever shortened abridged versions there were of, uh, you know, the, to, to review the course material. And then I would cram every little thing in. I could. And, it worked. I mean, you know, the grades were fine. In fact, I don't know that that guy who sat around asking all the questions necessarily did any better as far as the grades were concerned. But you go up to someone who took the approach that I did a day later, <laughs> a week later, and you say, well, what did this mean? And it's out of my head. You know, it's like I could store it for about as long as I needed to to write it on paper, and then it's gone. I have no idea. And you go out, you go up to the guys like that, the annoying guy who wrote down all the notes, and you can ask him like 40 years later, and he's still talking about, oh, you know, I remembered when I studied Hegel that he talked about, the, you know, the dialectic and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, how do you remember this stuff? <laughs> and, you know, the answer is that he, because it meant something to him, he committed to it. Um, he didn't actually just learn it as in like learning to regurgitate exactly what he needed to for an exam. You know, he sat around reading the whole thing and trying to figure out why it was written, what it all meant, probably thinking about it all the time, comparing it to other examples. So, of course, it sticks because he understood the whole process and what's inside, uh, you know, what's inside the writer's head. He understands the entire the in the entire big picture of it all. Whereas a guy like me, I just remember the words and enough to kind of recite things for the questions I think people are going to ask. And I think that, you know, it's a common thing that people will see as like, well, you know, if I got the A's from college and that got me the good job, then it served its purpose. Um, and so, and a lot of times people perceive that to be being good. You know, being good is just the idea that you, you kind of have all the accolades, you've got all the rewards. And I, I think kind of actually finding some way to love the little bits and pieces of it, even if you don't get the same grade, <laughs> even if someone actually maybe is better at writing on, on the exam than you in, in my hypothetical, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think kind of going through that process, it, it opens all sorts of doors and changes the way you think and changes the way you understand the process in ways that you can't get at the time you're learning it, but 
it's always it's kind of a 100% thing. Every time you look at a business study on how you know some successful business, and they talked about it's like it's always forged in their childhood or in this belief or in this pursuit or this character trait that was developed you know 10 years earlier and blah blah blah. And you see the results of those pursuits and that commitment much much later in their lives. But it doesn't happen if you go through it as treating it kind of as a series of, okay, I just got to clear these obstacles, and if I do, then I've got the merits and I'm done. And so that's that's what I was really trying to say when I wrote that. But admittedly, it doesn't really read that way. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense to me. And I think that's – it's very subtle, but I think that's something that <clears> – <throat> when I look at the industry, something that I'm uh, – I feel that's lacking or missing. Um, and I don't know. Some people may say that's like you know, the sole part of the industry or – or whatever, but yeah. there's this. I think the kind of the rock star stuff that happened has been happening the past five to ten years that has kind of happened in the industry is this very like results oriented. You know, you do this, 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 and then you get to become blank or you get this type of social reward this way or whatever. And so people, you know, it's like a video game where people just want to get the highest score. Mm hmm. But you don't. Exactly. But you miss like the daily. You're not loving it, just because. Like you know, there's not that. Uh, you're not swimming in the details of the nuances of the everyday, boring yes. stuff. So it's the difference between kind of I'm pushing through this little stuff so I can get here versus I just really like, I really like the boring stuff. <laughs> like most people hate, and the, yeah. I think your your business will take different shapes. You'll make different decisions because of that for the better. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% on board with that. Um, your next one I read seemed a little controversial. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? <laughs> and uh, you might have to dig in the archives to last year a little bit. So, but uh, you, I'm sure you remember this one. But it's uh, styled shoots must die. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. That was a that was classic. Yes, mm -hmm. a lot of people really hated that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's a couple highlights in there. That I wanted to kind of talk about and, sure. and to kind of update your opinion since it's maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it would be kind of interesting. Um, the first quote that kind of caught my eye was you said nine out of ten or nine, nine, nine out of ten times style shoots aren't even photography. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, of course, yes. that one kind of caught my attention. But um, what do you mean? I guess what did you mean by that? Or do you want to? Uh, oh, yeah, I'll stand on that one. Stand on um, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll definitely, um, yeah, no change. I mean, I will say, just for the record, because I have had people ask me about this, you know, it's really not the notion of style shoots. I know some people's issue was that people would misrepresent it as their work, and, and I get it, kind of as a, in a business ethics sense. And, um, and yeah, I absolutely don't think that you know, someone wants to present a style shoot as their regular work. On the other hand, if you say it's a style shoot and, you know, you give full disclosure, I mean... You know, different takes on it, but certainly, I mean, I think that's fine to me. Uh, but, you know, the thing that really got me about style shoots was that line and uh, exactly what you just quoted. Uh, I thought, you know, in concept, when I first heard about them, I thought, what an awesome thing. You know, you have this chance to have free reign to shoot anything, any way you like. And you have this completely open opportunity to explore with other people who really know their stuff and you see i mean you know you see i've seen you look at like the best fashion magazines and it's just it's a lot of it is just really high level great concept work um 
and you see these wonderful essays and pieces that kind of explore not just fashion, but kind of fashion's relationship to society. And they explore the notions of photography and what it should and shouldn't be. And I guess when I first heard about style shoots, I thought, yes, what a great thing. And I started looking at them and I'm like, they, they all look exactly the same. <laughs> and I was just, I was so disappointed. I mean, I would see some that I thought, okay, you know, some of them were pretty good. Some, especially, I think, the people who did them early on before it had kind of been established what a style shoot is supposed to look like. Mm. I thought, um, I mean, even the ones that, let's say, weren't as original, like they're tremendously editorial and there's something you've seen in other fields. At least it wasn't something I'd seen commonly in wedding photography. So, you know, I respect that they at least they brought that into it. But, you know, more and more they kept looking like uh, basically a set design. And, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to, pull from a higher authority here i'm gonna talk, <laughs> i'm gonna pull from uh, from david allen harvey at least i'm gonna so i can so i can at least quote a magnum photographer nice. um but you know i remember what he said about dance photography was that um or you know anything like when you're performing shooting anything performed on stage mm -hmm. what he says is that you know what he said was that in most cases you're not really shooting your own work you're kind of just shooting the set design and performances and actions that have been established by other people in other words they kind of they have body language and, and motions designed for people to react and kind of to know what to take pictures of or not necessarily take pictures of but what to react to yeah. they have lighting and set design designed to make it look gorgeous you don't have to find anything every angle looks fantastic they have you know and it's very obvious what cues to use and what to look for and blah 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 which isn't to say that anyone who shoots concerts or, any, or events doesn't actually create any real work but it is to say that you know there are a lot of times people go into it and they are essentially kind of shooting the set design and it's, it's almost like freebie it's it's like photography porn you know it's like it's freebie <laughs> material that you can go in and you can just shoot anything and it's going to look great and um and you know i guess that was the thing about style shoots i would see people and it's kind of like well you know, a lot of those shots, I'd see they just, they're, they're pretty, they were pretty basic and pretty straightforward. And yeah, you know, someone chose to shoot it at magic hour and they found, and I guess to their credit, they did choose a good location. Um, but shooting at magic hour and finding kind of a big blank wide open location, I don't think that's kind of the most, the most essential challenging and kind of uh, rewarding parts of photography. And, but the rest of it was kind of fairly, you know, I mean, they were fairly common properly done but fairly common properly composed shots of really gorgeous models who posed well in really beautiful dresses and really nice flowers and you know I, I guess in my mind that is really barely <laughs> photography because I mean to me photography is when you put yourself into it uh, you know to me I mean photography is about taking little slices of the world and picking uh, uh, you take a slice of time and you take a slice of a desk or a window and whatever and you join all those things by finding the angle and the right moment to push the button and and there's no one who could have unified them in that way except yourself because that's you know that's that pairing isn't something that naturally is, is uh, naturally obvious or naturally meaningful. You had to sit around and think, well, what needs to be in this picture? What needs to be cut out of this picture to create something that's going to produce a reaction or a thought or an idea? You know, I mean, every time we take a picture, we can make a line diagonal or, we, you know, we can make a line diagonal or we can make it perpendicular to whatever just by moving how our camera is is situated. I mean, those are the types of photographic decisions. Um, we can choose to put someone in hard light. We can choose to put someone in soft light and we can decide what whether one is more appropriate for what we want. And those are the types of decisions that 
I think kind of create an emotional resonance that's really unique to the 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 craft and the skills associated with photography. Um, I didn't really feel so much that was the case, kind of shooting at magic hour with a really bunch of beautiful sets. And yeah. especially not after it became really obvious and everyone kind of like started to do the exact same thing over and over. And then it, it just kind of, in my mind, it just kind of kept deteriorating. Yeah. And you're and kind of reading on. I mean, you didn't, uh, I mean, you go on to say that you, you actually think style shoots could, should, should be around. Basically, they should just be better <laughs> and not carbon copies and more unique, it seemed like. Um, and, but the the last paragraph was like, I felt like that's really what you were like getting at with the style shoots. And mm -hmm. it was more about the culture of the industry that yes. these style shoots create. And that's, I think, what really was like hacking you off. <laughs> yes. And so. I mean, it definitely was, yeah. Um, let, me, let me read what you <laughs> said, uh, just because I think it's awesome. <laughs> um, you said, Someone told me he couldn't stand the bitchy brides, the stressed, addicted, materialistic ones where it's all about the perfect day as a procession of decor, pomp, and pageantry, where the perfect picture is more important than the perfect moment. And then you finish by saying, who do you, who do you think created that bride? Basically kind of blaming it on the wedding industry itself, mm -hmm. um, which I think has a lot of truth in it. So talk about that because I'm, I'm – a lot of what I'm frustrated with in photography, at least my work and even clients that I deal with sometimes, is just that. I get frustrated with the surface of everything yes. and not yeah. like the human element that I think is like really crucial. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Although, God, it's hard to, I mean, in this particular case, it's hard to top my own quote for, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm one. like, gosh, that kind of says it all. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I'll talk about more because I, I, I mean, that's a subject that I love going on and on about. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I mean, I, I mean, I think the funny thing is every time you say something, I think, yeah, you know, Mike just said exactly what I take like 20 minutes to explain in five yeah, seconds. Whatever. But, but it, you know, it is really exactly what you said. I mean, it's just this idea of, I mean, there are two, there are two different parts to it, right? I mean, there's kind of the rampant copying and then there's our kind of the influence of the industry and its relationship to all the people that we have as clients. Um, I guess I'll talk about both since they're a little bit different. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, insofar as the industry goes, it's – and it's not just – I mean, it's just this whole thing. I mean, almost everything, not just in the wedding industry. I mean, I kind of think it was like this global thing. But, uh, yeah. it, you know, everything is templatized and everything is based on the idea that if you just take this from that, that you're going to get the exact same result and it's going to work for you. So it's kind of like why bother to figure out yourself when you can have something kind of ready-made – and pull it off the shelf and just plug it in. So and let me kind of like a that what you just said made me think about just like kind of like a Starbucks culture or whatever, where it's yeah, um, exactly. you know what you're gonna get. It tastes the same. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's just is what it is. And some people are happy with that, but I think a lot of people are starting to get sick of that world we live in. Sure, hope so. Uh, I, am. I mean, <laughs> I think you know, good. I mean, true, real good. Requires risks. I mean, you know, you let's talk about photography. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a shoot where I thought, wow, this is, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. And, you know, I've found that usually it's going to be one of two things it's either going to bomb miserably, and that happens a lot, <laughs> or it's going to be the thing that I love the best. But, uh, you know, the reason people think something is good most of the time is because they've seen it so much 
that they have it ingrained that this is the definition of good. So if they see something that looks the same, tastes the same, or whatever else, they say, okay, I've achieved that exact same result, therefore this is good too. But uh, real good isn't based on doing the same thing. I mean, real good is based on creating a novel reaction. It's creating a novel experience for someone else. It's based on putting your idea forth in a way that other people have not seen but still understand and get. I mean, if you put something out in a way that nobody gets, that's not good either. But real good, it's based on the reaction that you create from whoever it is you want to create that reaction in. So for real good, you... You have to, if you're going to create, I mean, once someone sees something, you know, it's game over. You've already got it. You already know how it is. And the next time they see the exact same thing, it's not a novel experience anymore. And they're not going to have that. You have to create something for people that surprises them, that gives them an element that kind of gets under their skin and makes them think, wow, you know, there was something there that I never thought about and have never experienced before. So, I mean, real good requires that you go out on a limb because if you look at it and you just are sure this picture has every component of what people think of as good, then it's probably not really that good um but yeah it's like it, it is like a starbucks culture i mean it just runs rampant and that becomes kind of the standard and everyone just figures uh, i mean everyone's just chasing those exact same goals and i think the people who really succeed are the people who get that you have to do something a little bit different i mean i think the people i mean what it really comes down to is you have you can only do it two ways you can either lead or you can follow right um Mm -hmm. you can either say i'm gonna do because you can either spend all your time trying to keep up with every technique being developed every coffee flavor being put out there every sandwich that's popular and that's all consuming it's basically a treadmill where you're spending all this time running to actually to actually just produce the exact same thing as everyone else because it changes really fast and it's not i mean even though it get learning it gets easier and easier it's not like it takes no time and no commitment to learn yeah or you can decide well i'm going to invest in myself i'm going to believe in myself i'm going to sit around and say if i give myself the capability to observe this, to cook this way, to take this picture, to notice this little thing happening so I know when to take my picture. If I notice um, the other day, I mean, I shot a shot, and, um, you know, I'm going to be honest, it was a bit of fortunate coincidence, but, uh, <laughs> but it happened, and I loved it, and um, what, it, what it really came down to is that the sun, which was, it was just awful light, you know, I was like, oh, God, this sucks, the sun's, you know, you know it's, it's just these horrible shadows but you know if you shoot it from so that it provides an edge light not so it's back so it's like kind of that blown out wash look but if you shoot mm-hmm. it so you get just a little edge light and then it happens that and when they hugged uh so i shot it kind of low so it's kind of you get that old you know photojournalistic look and and then you get the hug and you get this great silhouette and it happened that um and here's where the bit of fortune came in. Is I chose the. It was really just a reaction thing. I focused on the guy as opposed to the mom who mm. was doing hug. But it gives this great abstraction that just really pairs well. I can't describe it without showing it, but it worked <laughs> out really well. And it's one of those things that if you don't notice that the light's coming from the side, and you don't think about you, you know, and you don't think about the situation that's going to happen before it happens, you, you just don't get that shot because you're not ready for it. And you probably shoot it from the front where the lighting's a lot safer, and it's kind of a guarantee. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> My point being yeah. is that you have to trust your own skills at a certain point. You have to say that, well, the whole reason I learn all these skills is so, so I can react more, see more, do more, and that if something changes in the world, I'm going to change and react to that and come up with my own solution. And you have to believe that that is actually going to be – if you know, you have to believe it's going to be a better solution. It may or may not be. I'm not guaranteeing it will be. But I think that you know you kind of have to believe that, and you're going to find that 
sometimes it will, sometimes it won't, but it's going to take you places and give you this ability to react and move that other people won't. And I just figure you, know, you got to do one or the other. It's either you're either in the treadmill or you're investing in yourself. And what's the worst case possible? You invest in yourself, you invest in your skills, and even if you didn't get all the exact results you wanted, I'll bet you anything people who do that, they get a fulfilling life. They probably actually may do pretty well if they have the commitment there. If they have that type of commitment, they probably do pretty decently with the business, and they can probably look back and be pretty proud of it. And I think that's a yeah. lot. You know, and, and frankly, most people aren't that good at copying either. So a lot of people copy, <laughs> and they do it badly. So what's worse than actually spending all your time copying and then still not managing to get where you want to go um, instead of kind of just living the way you want? Yeah. So that's um, – I think the uh, equivalent in weddings is that it's uh, the Martha Stewart kind of thing, which you talked about in the article, which was, um, you know, if Martha Stewart puts a stamp on it, then it's amazing. Like that's – good apparently in the world for photography or whatever and so you can either a just whatever martha says that's what you're going to kick out because you know people are going to buy that but it may not have any part of who you are as a image maker or you Mm -hmm. can say i think that's all crap and i'm going to make something else and and this is why and then um risk that people may or may not like it because it doesn't have the approval from major society or whatever you know Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, exactly. Wow, you you read that article pretty thoroughly. <laughs> I did. Every article I quoted you from, I like read the whole thing and comments. So, wow, yeah. <laughs> it took me like two days. <laughs> no, those articles are pretty long, if I remember. Yeah, they are. But they're good though. I love them. So, oh, um, I wish I could write that well. I can't. Um, you know, actually, I'm going to say one. I'm going to throw in one more thing. So it's okay. going to be like an answer. Uh, you can use it or discard it. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, there's another part to that good thing, um, which is that, um, I mean, that cycle, and that was the second part I realized I forgot to answer. But, no, you know, that's what influences our clients, too. I mean, you know, we're, we're creating the definition, the definitions of what's good for them as well. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that really drives me crazy about the wedding industry is, of course, I mean, yes, I get that everyone's running a business. And actually, I think most people, a lot of people do it inadvertently. I mean, most people I know personally are in it, and they're pretty earnest about their businesses and what they're trying to do, and they really believe in it. Um, but it just becomes a, some total effect where I, I think a lot of times, uh, well, it becomes like a machine, and it starts to produce this result where kind of all the brides are looking for is to replicate. It's just like we replicate a certain picture to produce a definition of good. They start to replicate certain weddings as their definition of of a successful wedding. And they start to have this template, Mm. which we then actually start to get locked into shooting because we created these pictures and or created these products as an industry. And you just get this whole cycle where the whole thing keeps going and going and going. And, um, you know, it probably, I mean, I have no doubt it sounds really idealistic uh, um, to say that, uh, you know, if you get out there and you do your own thing and you get your voice across, that um, that people will listen. And, you know, you have to do it in the right way and you have to have the right things to say at the right time, just like any other business. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's been my personal experience that the more I have committed to actually getting my point across and the more focused I've been on that when I speak with my clients, when I present the work that I present, it's actually been 
the more effective it's been and the stronger connection I've had with them and the happier I've been with the work I've been able to produce at their wedding and just psychologically kind of the state I was in and how free I felt to actually shoot what I wanted to shoot. And so the funny thing is that, um, you know, I think people don't realize it, but there are a lot of people, I think, who really are sick of it. And there are a lot of people who don't buy into the whole thing and are looking for something different but the industry doesn't present a lot of those options. And so there's a yeah. lot of opportunity out there to connect with people and find people who and, – and, or reach out and trust or even to um, – you know, or to know – it's important to know that people are, actually will seek you out yeah. um, and to know that you actually have a lot more latitude than you think you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just have to go there. You have to go there and trust it. And then, you know, and I think it's really hard to do, but it actually works. And it works actually, in my experience, it's, it's worked very well. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, I guess talk about uh, Musea Gathering. You're coming. I'm super excited. So mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about why you decided to participate when I asked you if you were down <laughs> and uh, talk a little bit about what you're going to be teaching at your two-day workshop, um, yeah. which we blog, but just to kind of hit on that again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, participating is easy. It's because you ask the good questions <laughs> and because you read my articles. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, this whole idea, I mean, it's funny to me because, I mean, everything you, you've, everything you touched on, I thought, um, you know, and I've seen this in your writing and the things that you talk about on, on your blog as well. But it's just, I think you'd kind of tap into really the essential issues and kind of the essential things that we face as an industry, but I think also just a lot as society and the mm-hmm. things we deal with. And uh, and these are things that are just, they're, they're right on point, but they're also things that kind of are just a little ahead of the curve in the sense that I think, you know, a lot of people aren't quite aware of it yet or they're feeling it. But it hasn't really become something tangible and uh, and obvious, or it hasn't been something they could really put into words. And you're one of those guys where you know I, I know what you're up to, and I know what you believe in, and I think you're one of the guys who gets that. Um, so you. part so participating that's that's an easy question. Um, you know, with the workshop, I, I think there are a few different things. I mean, I think one of the, there are two two really large problems. I mean, people come into a business. And running a small business is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it, you know, a lot harder than most of the jobs I've had myself. Even, even you know, the ones, even the ones with the better titles and all that that are supposed to be really complex. I, I really, I think, running a small business is, is much harder because there's so many hats you have to wear and so many things. And you're not going to. No one comes in as an expert in all those different things. So you start to build up this thing that's kind of this like Franken, uh, Frankenstein where kind of you, you don't have a working model. The right arm is doing one thing and the left arm is doing another, and there's no cohesive system. And you're doing all the activities that kind of at a theoretical level you need to do, but you're not getting them, putting them together in a way that works. Um, and that's, that's kind of really, I think, the first big challenge. Um, the second is really just kind of getting your voice and finding under, you know, is a more personal one, but it's really understanding what you're about and learning how to translate that, that thing into something that actually works in the marketplace. Because a lot of people, um, you know, they go, they go halfway there. They, they know they love what they're doing. They have an idea of what they stand for, but they actually don't know how to translate it into something that brings in clients and gets really strong referrals. And it's a huge difference. <clears throat> 
between getting, let's say, someone saying, oh, you know, someone was really good or satisfied and, and someone was amazing. Um, I once read a study, and this is way back in, I think, the 70s or 80s. I mean, I didn't read it in the 70s or 80s, but it was <laughs> Yeah. And it was talking about the results you get between, I think it was something between very good versus excellent on like, you know, on a four star satisfaction rating. And the results were ridiculous. It was something like 10% of the people would refer on a very, in the case of a very good, and yet something like 90% would refer in the case of an excellent. And, but when they started looking at how little you needed to do to go from very good to excellent, it turned out to be just a very small set of things. And the problem is that most people, they aren't putting those little things together. Mm-hmm. So I want to focus on creating a business that kind of first, put, you know, that tears everything down, looks at all the different components, and kind of realigns them so that they're actually, um, so they're actually working together. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I hate the word brand because, you know, it's thrown about so much, but that was actually my background. Yeah. Uh, well, one of my many backgrounds, but that was one of the things I did along the way. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time doing brand development and, uh, and I'm going to talk a lot about brand and what I think brand brand and the way I think it really should be. I mean, if you do it right, when you put a brand together, I mean, it's almost like telepathic. Um, the way I describe it always is, is it's like a live wire into people's heads. You know, when you create a brand, you don't need to explain to people why to do something or how to act a certain way. They just get it and they feel compelled to act. Like if you've ever gone into a store and you just feel like, wow, I, I feel like I have to buy something because the experience <laughs> kind of compels you, you to do it. And, yeah. and, you know, I think everyone's had that experience where they buy something and then you go home and you're like, why did I feel like I had to have this thing? And so I'm going to talk a lot about how to put together a business and put together those components to create that type of experience so that you can kind of bypass all the rejections. You can bypass all the different parts about what people kind of all the natural points of resistance and communicate a lot more directly with all the people who are potentially clients so that they can get what you're about, and more importantly, so they can actually be attracted to those different uh, to those different components. Um, other things I'm going to talk a lot about, um, you know, the psychology of getting people to react, um, of understanding what it is. I mean, that goes back to the brand and communication, but uh, really kind of getting into the client's heads and letting people understand how a client, not just how a client sees the world, but the little things that you can do along the way to change how the clients see the world and how you know and what your role in that is um, I'm going to talk about the entire process of, of the uh, running a business from beginning to end and kind of how it is that you can really keep pursuing what it is that you consider artistically important and still actually use that to generate business uh, you know like I said I, I really think it should be a fluid process between mm-hmm. client service and the product you deliver they shouldn't be things that are at war with one another where it's like oh god I have to you know tend to the client and then <laughs> It's like, I really want to do what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, things should work together. Good service should bolster getting the results you want, which should bolster, you know, kind of a better, a better feeling of service. So I'm going to talk about how to create a process that um, puts all those things together, uh, which, of course, I think is one of the essential parts of generating strong referrals. Yeah. And then I think, you know, the last part is I want to focus on something that's actionable. Um, I love talking about theory. I love talking about <laughs> how things and yes, you know, yeah. I want people to go home and I want them to get certain core principles so that they can figure it out on their own and they figure out where to go. But the other part is I like results too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just I, I hate it when you go through it and at the end of it, it's like I really understand this, but I have no idea what to do. Yeah, what do I do now? And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was kind of, I mean, that was what Ground Glass was for for me in a lot of ways was figuring out, okay, what do I need to do now to make this work? 
<clears throat> and so ground glass kind of touches on more of the psychology of it and what's going on in my head as I've, I've figured these things out and some of the things I've, you know, some of the problems I've encountered over the years. But I, I'm going to, but I really want to make sure that what people come out with is something they can actually use right away. So, um, you know, how to make the process more efficient, how to actually get real wins and not just kind of understand the theory of it. And then um, hopefully, you know, they'll be able to go home with this stuff and then just keep moving on with it and use it uh, as part of their everyday business and use it to actually just develop and grow and, and see kind of a lot of other things that they're going to encounter in a, in a different framework. And, uh, and, and that's really the essence of it. Cool. Sounds awesome. <laughs> well, Spencer, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for talking and um, looking forward to the event.